Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast to help you be the best you can be to grow your business, your relationships and personal life. Our conversations with thought leaders and everyday people will inspire you. My mission is to show how positivity helps us all live a more rewarding and meaningful life. Hello, this is Robin Stratton-Burkessel. My guest this week is Sue Elliott. Sue is an outstanding communicator in the conventional sense of the word as a writer and a speaker. She's an entrepreneur and the warmest, most joyful person you could ever meet, as you're soon about to hear for yourself. Before I introduce Sue, there are two things to share. One is our regular Positivity Lens segment. But even before that, I want to say how honoured and thrilled I am because you, dear listeners, are really making this show grow. Our ranking in iTunes and Stitcher is climbing up the charts. I hadn't really thought or imagined this kind of thing would excite me, but here I am so excited that Positivity Strategist has been in the top 20, 10, 5, and even number 1 in the new and noteworthy section of iTunes these last weeks. The show and my guests and my audience are all making it happen, and that's so thrilling, and I'm humbled. Thank you. The comments on iTunes and Stitcher have been heartwarming, and I feel the appreciation. Now to the second thing before I introduce Sue, our Positivity Lens segment. For those who are new listeners, this is a regular segment where I seek to pull out some of the tips and strategies my guests share on the show. I invite us to try them on as a way to strengthen our own positivity muscle and grow our neural networks. The more we practice anything, the more easily we perform. Last week's episode, Positivity Strategist slash PS13, the nice reboot entrepreneurial know-how with my guest Panina Ryback, she offered us so many heartfelt stories of her own reboot in life personally and her commitment to her dying mentor and best friend to reboot professionally. She honoured that commitment and it resulted in her book outlining a pathway for other women to become better entrepreneurs. Penina truly inspired me. You will have taken out of that show what you needed to hear and hope that you've been mulling over what resonates for you and you've been implementing them too. I suggested five possibilities to help hone our positivity lens. I have to confess, I did okay. My week was so full that I didn't seek out any big, diverse experience. However, I did pay attention to patterns in my life and recognize that I might need to say yes to things that I'm tentative and wishy-washy about. And the intention of my legacy is very clear to me and the implementation is still evolving. So I realize, thanks to Panina's insights, I have work to do. And doing this positivity lens week by week, it's a great way to help me keep fine-tuning my identity and my practice. I hope you're finding this segment helpful too, and the messages are serving to help you create more positive moments in your life. And now, to our show for this week. I just want to advise, there's a little lag time in the audio. It's not too bad, so it shouldn't detract from a positive listening experience. So today, my guest is Sue Elliott. 
and I'm so looking forward to our conversation as Sue is founder and Chief Joy Officer at Inspire Profits, Inc. It's going to be a wonderful conversation to learn more about Sue and her work and how it aligns with Positivity Strategist. So Sue, let me first welcome you to Positivity Strategist. Oh, thank you for inviting me to join you. Of course, of course. So let me say a little bit more by way of introduction to Sue with a few tantalizing snippets. So Sue's work has always been in the field of communication as a journalist and in the field of personal development and personal and professional development where she offers workshops and coaching to all kinds of businesses. Sue, there's such diversity in your background And you seem to have a lot of seemingly disparate ventures. For example, you write or have written for and you've launched and edited magazines about business and travel, collector cars, food, wine, design and luxury lifestyles. And you launched your own publication, Law of Attraction magazine, as well as launching and selling two of your own businesses, including a PR and marketing agency. And so your current business, Sue, which is called Inspire Profits, which is an amazing, wonderful name, you share practical processes and simple techniques that make a profound, measurable difference in people's work and their lives to release blocks to excellence, joy and success. So this is of great interest to me. And what you're advocating here is that when you get right down to it, most businesses are about relationships. And when you improve those relationships by improving communication and clarity and collaboration or through those processes, everyone, as you say, wins. So this seems a fantastic mission. And so, so let me start with a big question, not a little one, but a big one. What was attracting you to move into the human development space after you had been writing about cars and wine and luxury lifestyle? What's the story of your trajectory? Oh, thank you for asking, Robin. I've always followed my my interests, my joy, my passion, and I've always enjoyed being with people who do the same. So when I started working on magazines years ago, right out of college, I worked on a business magazine and a women's magazine. And at the time, I was very into cars. I had grown up in San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. I grew up street race, going to the street races, not street racing myself, going to the races, you know, playing with hot rods, very much in the car culture. And so I had an opportunity to work on car magazines and do articles with these people who owned businesses who were so passionate about what they did. What they did, why they did it, how they did it mattered so much to them. And it was a joy to support those people. And eventually I worked in a trade association uh, as a spokesperson for the automotive after and hot rodders and muscle car enthusiasts and, and people who customized, you know, new vehicles. And I loved that energy. I loved being people who are so excited about what they did. And as I moved into a new space in life, I moved up to the Napa Valley. And one of the reasons I chose that area, besides my tremendous love of food and wine, was that the people there also are very driven by a passion and a joy for what they're doing. People who make amazing food and amazing wine do it because that's what they love. And the personal growth was just always part of my life. I started down the personal growth path in, I guess, 93 
I got my first Marianne Williamson book and read that and started listening to her and then finding other teachers. So I'd always had a dream of bringing the two parts of my life together, the part of my life that was about studying and teaching personal growth and the part of my life that was about creating magazines and sharing what I'd learned. Because as a magazine editor and writer, what I did was get paid to learn new things and share what I learned with others. So when I was able to create new magazines with a company called Source Interlink Media, now the Enthusiast Network, we were bringing new magazines to the newsstand and seeing what did well. And so we were doing these chef recipe food magazines that were selling well, and that was really fun to do when chefs were the new rock stars. And they said, what's this other thing you want to try? Let's do it. So we created Law of Attraction magazine, which was about how to choose more joy in your life, how to have better relationships. You know, we had sections on love and relationships, money and work, body and health, empowerment. And it was so much fun to take the two areas that were so much a part of who I am and bring them together. Well, that's kind of like what we're all aspiring to, I think. And what made sense to me from what you, how you were describing that is that when you were around the people who were so into cars and then you went to the Napa Valley, it was that same theme of passion, energy, and excitement. Yes. And the personal growth and professional development world is absolutely all about that as well. Mm. You know, you add in a service component too, where people just love to help other people, to help them release their blocks and their barriers, to help them be more authentic and joyful and powerful. It's so heartwarming. It's so exciting. It's such a good reason to get out of bed in the morning. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And the other piece of that was, you know, the opportunity for new learning, continued growth. I mean, you're talking about values here. We can make this planet really amazing. Yes. And I love now helping people identify what their core values are, the things that are so innate, like what you pulled out of what I was saying. You know, it's just who I am and how I be, and I don't think anything of it. But those are core values to me. Passion, enthusiasm, joy, purpose, living a purposeful life and doing it from a space of joy and enthusiasm and love and kindness. And now to be able to bring that kind of energy into the workplace and help places of work have more of that enthusiasm and sense of contribution and sense of community and camaraderie and collaboration. It just, we spend so much time at work. It's very, very gratifying and very exciting to be able to bring that kind of enthusiasm and unleash it within the people in a company so that those people thrive, the people they interact with everywhere they go, you know, at the bank, at the grocery store, their families, their friends, and the business as a whole and the suppliers to the business and the customers of the business and the stakeholders in the business, you know, that the shareholders and investors and owners all benefit tremendously Mm -hmm. when we can unleash this kind of energy in a workplace. Yeah. So when you do this work, Sue, I mean, do you actually consciously talk with your clients about the whole system? You know, you've just given us the whole food chain here. Do you consciously do that? I do. Let's talk about the people who aren't in the room. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And actually, there were a couple more people, a couple more entities in the food chain. Um, I've become involved in conscious capitalism, which is uh, a 
a movement now founded by one of the founders of Whole Foods Market and co-CEO John Mackey. And one of the original founders was the founder of the Container Store. And there's a book out, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend Conscious Capitalism by Mm -hmm. John Mackey and Raj Sisodia, who's a Babson College professor. And Conscious Capitalism is so resonant with with who I've been all my life. It's so exciting to find people who've been studying this in the workplace and putting numbers to it and metrics. And what they say is that there are four pillars of conscious capitalism. The core one is higher purpose or core values and making it clear what the business's higher purpose is and the leaders and getting everybody into alignment And then they talk about stakeholder integration and a stakeholder orientation where all of the stakeholders within a business are equally valuable. Mm -hmm. So that includes not just the investors, which so many businesses focus on, you know, stock prices, not just the customers, which many businesses focus on thrilling and delighting their customers, but they talk about a win to the sixth power or a win six, which is your investors your employees, or they call them team members, Mm -hmm. your customers, your suppliers, also your community in which you're doing business, or from some companies, many communities, and the environment or the planet as a whole. So by taking into account the people who are not in the room, and some companies literally will have an empty chair at every vital meeting Mm. to remind them of the people who are not in the room Mm. and to take them into account. When you start to create a win for all of those groups, you create an incredibly powerful and coherent organization. You know, you don't have to start talking about corporate social responsibility because it's so built into the system. It's so innate in what you're doing. When you're actually living from your core values, you're attracting employees who have resonant values or they're not going to be a match. You're attracting investors who have resonant values or, again, they're not going to be a match. And you're able to work with your suppliers in a whole different way where it becomes more of a partnership and a collaboration. And you're able to work with your customers in a way that it becomes more of a partnership and a collaboration, you know, obviously depending on the kind of business you're in. But it's a very different orientation that also involves conscious leadership and conscious culture. Mm. It's a beautiful model for for what I had been doing on my own. So it's very exciting to find words to put to it. Oh, I think that's absolutely fabulous. And how receptive are you finding businesses? What Can you give us a, an example of what kinds of businesses are saying, yes, this resonates with me and this really aligns with the direction that I want to go and I know that this is something that is the future and what's calling our business to be? It's such a diverse group. It's really, really exciting. I was at a meeting of the Orange County chapter of Conscious Capitalism on Wednesday, and we had people there from all different kinds and all different sizes of companies. So banking, real estate, high tech, um, the medical industry, software. There was somebody there from a nonprofit. What else? Oh, goodness. Personal development. There were a couple coaches working in different fields, one who specializes in credit unions. So we were seeing this being applied in global companies, in small business ventures, in startups, in larger companies that are looking for ways to change their orientation and or return to the founders' values. That's something that's really mm. been coming up a lot lately where the company had a very clear vision in the beginning and then as it grows, it's really hard to maintain that using more traditional approaches to business. That's and this interesting, is, yeah. I love that this is so really 
logical and clear. Mm -hmm. And when you look at what companies are doing and why they're doing it, you're like, of course, that makes so much sense. And the other way of doing things seems so controlling, Mm -hmm. so Mm fear-based. And that's where I come from. You know, when I first was introduced to personal growth in 20 some years ago, the concept that most resonated with me was that everything that we do, everyone that we meet is either coming from a place of love, which would be all the positive emotions. It could be joy. It could be hope. It could be optimism. It could be enthusiasm, appreciation, gratitude. All of that falls to me under the category of love. And then there are all those quote unquote negative emotions, which fall under fear. Mm -hmm. They're all just different names for fear. Aggravation, anxiety, overwhelm, worry, guilt, shame, embarrassment, humiliation, all of that is Mm fear-based. And when we're coming from fear, we're really just crying out for love. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm feeling anxious, I I want to be reassured that everything's going to be okay. You know, at some level, we're all we're all carrying with us that inner child. And I know it's it sounds so touchy feely soft, but but we all have that part of us and it's that little voice inside our head that says, I don't think I can do that because our inner six-year-old doesn't know how to be successful in business. Our inner six-year-old needs reassurance that it's okay. You really, we have this covered. We know how to do it now. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you bring up the positive emotions piece. And we know that positive emotions actually open us up to be more tolerant, more understanding, more we-centric as opposed to me-centric. Yes. That it actually is good for our heart and our health and that we recognize that we're in this together. And, you know, the negative emotions actually do shut us down. Now, negative is important because it's the old reptilian brain that puts us on alert for things that may be life-threatening. So, you know, survival is our first prime motivation. But I think we've moved beyond that. And what we can do with the neuroplasticity of the brain, of course, is to learn how to be more positive, which helps us then face adversity and negativity when it does come up and we become more resilient and we become more capable of dealing with things that perhaps we find challenging because we have been building that positivity muscle and rewiring those neural connections in the brain. So positivity is so exciting in the sense that we can learn ourselves into this new way of being in the world, which is far more resourceful and far more fitting the values of collaboration. And love underpins that. And I don't know if you know of Barbara Fredrickson's work. Do you know of Barbara Fredrickson? I've actually just found her. So I'm just starting to, to learn from her. Oh, she's one of my heroes. And maybe you've come across her latest book called Love 2.0. No, but I love it already. Oh, and what she says in that book, Sue, is that, I mean, she talks about love 2.0, you know, really understanding what love is, you know, in the biggest sense of the word love, in which is what I also communicate in my TED talk, as you, you my TEDx talk, as you may remember. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it's really about every day is filled with these micro moments of love. And that's what love is. It's these little moments that we live day by day. And if we learn to focus on these little micro moments of love, over time, they accumulate. If we focus on that, and it really fits into being very present and being very mindful, but it all makes sense. It's totally exactly what you're saying about there's the fear-based approach which is big stick and it's very controlling and it really has the opposite effects of what we're trying to do. But when you think about love as just 
micro moments and that just strengthens our positivity muscle and yes. the resiliency that we have. I mean, that is just so easy. It's simple. And it's so easy to see how that shift plays out in the workplace. You know, I know so many people who are still working in places that have a profound culture of fear. And it's the old command and control way of running an organization. And the problem is these people are constantly in stress mode. They're in fight or flight or freeze. Mm -hmm often many times a day. And when they're not, they're still working at this steady stream of stress. And even if you're not in your reptile brain, you're not in your creative potential. Right. You're not bringing both sides of your brain together. You're not having new ideas. You're not seeing solutions that can be incredibly simple and win-win for everybody when you're in that space of stress. You're just getting by in the day. And the beauty of what you were talking about, about micro moments of love, is that they help us release that stress moment by moment and help us to feel safer. Gorgeous. And relax all of the, the hormonal cocktail and the adrenaline that's flowing through our body and get to a space where we can access higher cognitive abilities, open up to seeing a bigger picture, opening up to more winning options for everybody involved, and really opening up to collaboration in a way that we don't when we're stuck in that fear. You know, when you're in that fear-based culture, it is every man for himself. And when we start to let go of that and focus on something positive moment by moment, we get out of the knee-jerk reactions, we get out of the fear-based survival mode, mm -hmm. and we get into a space where we can create something incredibly productive, collaborative, profitable, and good for all of the stakeholders involved, including our community and our environment. Mm. So how is our media doing at this? Uh, it depends on what part of the media you look at. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I come from more in, of an enthusiast media background rather than news media. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the enthusiast media, like the outdoor magazines, uh, even the off-road truck magazines, they're very much focused on doing more good than harm. You know, when you go out into the backcountry to camp, to hike, to go dirt bike riding, to drive your four-wheel drive truck, bring out more trash, pick up everything that you brought and then pick up some more on your way out. Mm -hmm. You know, restore the trails. If you see something that somebody else has done that's messed up anything, restore it to its natural state. So I see a lot of people and a lot of media coming from that space. And the media that I've been involved with most recently, the personal growth world, of course, is about being a contribution. And, and I truly believe that every one person we help has such a huge ripple effect that one person who reads a magazine and learns how to be less judgmental of other people makes a difference in some people say we touch 10,000 other people over the course of our lives. So imagine if... 30 or 40 or 50,000 people read one of these magazines and they each go out and touch 10,000 more people. We're talking about hundreds of thousands and millions of people who become more positive as a result. Mm. That's a great example. Yeah, it's about being selective and making choices uh, about what we let into our lives. Um, but having awareness of that, you know, it's that's the first step, right? And I'm wondering, Sue, whether it was always like this for you. I mean, you said at the beginning that personal growth has always been important to you. And you mentioned Marion Williamson's book, Return to Love. So can we just go back a little bit? And was it always like this? I mean, were you, did you come out of your mother's womb with joy? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think I was pretty joyful. Yes. I think joy has always been my resonant frequency or, or sort of who I am in the world. Um, but there were times I was also very sensitive. So I remember crying a lot growing up that other people didn't maybe understand me. And I also remember as a very young child recognizing that I would rather get really sad because if I could get really sad, it meant I could get really happy. And so I recognized and appreciated the breadth and depth of feeling that mm. was possible. So it was a conscious choice not to numb myself to fit in in this reality. Mm. That sounds very wise at a young age to say, well, if, there's, if I can experience joy, there's also sadness you know, I can make choices about this. So, yes. And I've come to learn uh, the way that I teach law of attraction is based on emotion. And it's very similar to what people talk about in terms of emotional intelligence. Um, one of my favorite teachers, Abraham and Esther Hicks, talk about an emotional scale. And at one end of the scale is total empowerment. So joy, appreciation, ecstasy, bliss, love. And at the other end of the emotional scale is total disempowerment. So shame, despair, depression, fear. And, and one can't move all the way from despair to joy. I mean, it's just too big a jump. You have to move incrementally up this emotional scale one step at a time. And, and it can be done very quickly, especially when somebody coaches you to do it consciously. It's very easy to move. I actually coached a client a few years ago from despair verging on suicidal to laughing in about 15 minutes because it's a very easily delineated path up the emotional scale. The, the important thing is not to act on every step in the scale, but to sort of embrace it mentally, to feel it, and then to move up to the next step. And one of the problems that we feel we see in this society is that the next step up the scale from despair and shame and hopelessness is often revenge and hatred. It's taking some of your power back a little bit because mm -hmm. when you're in despair and shame, you're feeling completely powerless, like you have no personal power. And when you step into revenge and hatred, I hate you, how could you do this to me? And you're just having that dialogue with a coach or in your own mind, you're not actually acting on it you start to take some of your power back and you start to get some forward momentum. And then you can get to, you know, from revenge and hatred, you can get into anger, which is softer, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And then from anger, you can get into sort of frustration and overwhelm and irritation. And from there, it's pretty easy to move into hope. And from hope, you can move into believing. And from believing, you can move into knowing and trusting. And from there, it it's, takes moments to get into a much more joyful space. So when you do the emotional scale, do you ask your clients or the people that you're working with to tell stories about this? You know, how do you actually bring it out that you help um, them move along this emotional scale? It kind of depends on the situation and where somebody is on the scale. So sometimes I'll talk about it explicitly and sometimes I'll just walk them through it without explaining it. Uh huh. But typically, yes, I'll ask somebody to really feel it. You know, okay, now we're going to move into hatred. Tell me, why do you hate this person? Why is this person so incredibly hateful? And sometimes people go back and forth a couple of times, you know, they'll go from hatred back into despair and then I can bring them back up and, you know, we'll go back and forth a little bit and then they'll start to move forward and they'll start to get some power going. And once I get them moving forward and I get the energy circulating again, because it's very stagnant when you're in that despair place, it's very slow and low and heavy. 
And when I get them to start to move forward and to have some energy in their conversation, <clears throat> excuse me, then it becomes much easier to move forward very quickly. And oftentimes mm-hmm. it's about a shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. That's really what I do the most mm-hmm. of with my clients is help them see other ways of looking at the world. So I'm fi- I've found that we all develop these kinds of filters that we've developed in childhood and our subconscious mind is extremely powerful and it makes sure that we're right, basically. So if we have a filter that says people disrespect me or if we have a filter that says people always leave me, we actually will not see or hear or receive evidence to the contrary to that. Our subconscious filters it out for us. So it will show us people always leave. It will not show us this person has been in my life for 30 years or these people have been happily married for 30 years. It will show us the evidence that supports what we believe. And we picked up so many of these beliefs as small children. So I find with my clients, often I'm untangling beliefs that make no logical sense, but they made a lot of sense to a four-year-old. You know, so mm-hmm. so once they see it and they, they hear what they're saying and they look at it from an adult's viewpoint, it's very easy to mm-hmm. have people let go of it. And then they get this tremendous shift in perspective where all of this limiting stuff just falls away and the world is filled with more possibilities. And you can see it. They People typically laugh and they smile and they light up and they're like, ah, oh, it was like they just let go of a 50-pound rock they'd been carrying around with them. Yeah, so I'm wondering, where does forgiveness come into this? Because, you know, what I'm hearing from you is that four-year-old child, you know, you're grown up now, so your life doesn't have to be governed by this four-year-old child anymore. So how can you forgive that little child and move on and look at it from your adult perspective? Does that play into it at all? Um, I find that forgiveness for our child self Yes, it does play into it. I find that it plays into it in more extreme cases, typically cases where there was childhood abuse of some sort. But it's really, forgiveness is really the same thing all the way across the board in my and in the experience of the people I've been working with. Forgiveness is trusting that we did the best we could mm-hmm. from where we were at the time. Right. If we had known how to do better, if we had had more skills or more awareness, we would have done things differently. Mm-hmm. And even if you can find a million reasons to prove that the person who is cruel to you, whether it was your boss or your father, knew better and should have done better, it doesn't do us any good to be hauling around all of that negative emotion for years because the only person we're harming is ourselves. You know, we wake up in the morning and if you're carrying around a lot of unforgiveness, a lot of stored up anger, that takes so much of your energy. You know, if you wake up with 100% of your energy available, as soon as you go back into all the old stories of who you're mad at and why you're mad at them and all the grudges that you hold, that could steal away 20, 30, 50, 60% of your energy that you could be using to create a wonderful day, uh, build your business, whatever is really important to you, love your family, whatever matters to you, you're already depleted by that much just because you're holding on to old issues, hatreds, anger, at yourself or at other people. Yeah, so true. So what do you do for yourself? How do you keep yourself energized? 
Oh, well, lots of different things. <laughs> in the morning, I, I do some sort of practice every morning before I get out of bed to center myself. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that's as simple as kind of feeling into the highest energy I can reach. Kind of, oh, how good can I feel right now? And just asking that energy to wash over my body and I'll literally feel like tingly all over. And sometimes, you know, I wake up in more of a funky, grumpy space and I need to go in and clear some old beliefs and dissolve some story that I've got playing, you know, that I did something wrong or somebody else did something wrong. And, and I'll do some, some letting go. I don't even really call it forgiveness work anymore. I just call it clearing because mm -hmm. I just want to let it go. I don't want to have to get into the story. I don't want to have to analyze it. I'm just ready to let it go and let everything be fresh and new for the day. And sometimes I can feel, you know, that my body is off and I'll actually go in and, and balance all of my chakras with affirmative empowering statements. So I am safe for the root chakra. And I'll often imagine myself standing barefoot outside and connected to the earth and feel that safety and that comfort of being like bare feet on warm earth. And then I'll go up to the next chakra and I am, I am creating, I am creating whatever it is that I'm working on that day. And, and I'll make I am statements all the way up until I really feel open and spacious. And sometimes my mind will wander and it'll try to take me down a rabbit hole and, and I'll have to go back and start at the bottom and go all the way up again. Mm -hmm. But I won't get out of bed until I've got myself back in alignment so that I can have the kind of day I choose to have. Wow, that's great. I mean, I have a segment here on Positivity Strategists where we take some of the learnings or some of the insights from the guests and invite people to then put them into practice for the next week. So just to get people beginning to exercise things that may work for them as well. And so I think this is a great one too that you're you're recommending here. Is there anything else that you advise you do for yourself and it works for you or you advise your clients to do if they're kind of feeling a little stuck or are facing a challenge? Oh, I, what seems to be coming a lot in my world is um, conflict and how to deal with conflict in the workplace. And what I'll do for myself is I've become very aware of my body and the way it responds to emotion. So if I get angry, I'll start to feel heat in my body. You know, and we have all these things mm -hmm. in our culture, like she's hot under the collar. When I start to feel heat rising, I'll pause and I'll take a couple breaths and I won't respond. I won't react to what's going on. I'll center myself. I'll just take two or three deep breaths and that's enough to clear my mind and reset. And then I will actually often ask myself, you know, what's the most loving thing I can do right now? And sometimes it's keep my mouth closed and walk away. And sometimes it's say something and the right thing to say will come into my head. And what I find is when we pay attention to the cues that our bodies are giving us, and they always do, throat just get clogged up? Is there something that you're not saying? You know, it, did your stomach just tie in a knot? Did your palms just start sweating? Mm -hmm. What's going on? And when you pay attention to what's going on in your body, it will help you tune into your emotions and to how you're reacting to what's going on in your life. And then you can, you've brought it to a conscious level now, that observer mode and say, okay, I can respond with the anger that came up or I can, instead of being confrontational, I can be collaborative in this moment. Mm -hmm. I can choose what energy I'm going to bring to this moment. I can interrogate somebody with an email message or I can be curious. Yeah. And the feeling is very different when you make that choice. Yeah. And I love how you bring the mind-body connection. So you do experience it in your body. And then that translates into how you then behave. 
So I think this is really profound. I'm just curious too to understand a little bit about the things that that you're most excited about working on right now. Ooh, I am most excited about helping. Well, I'm working with one client to help their sales team deal with conflict in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Right now, all of these people are very technically proficient. It's a technical company and they talk product with customers. They're serious enthusiasts about the product, but they don't have a lot of people skills. They didn't come from that kind of world. They come from a different space. So it's so exciting to go in and help them embrace conflict as opportunity Mm -hmm. and feel what's going on in their body and look for what's going on with their client and look for, oh, you're feeling angry. Let me ask you why you're angry. And let me use this as a problem-solving opportunity and let me let me not react to it and not take it personally. And so much of what I do is helping people not take what's going on personally and recognize that it's the other person's stuff. And as soon as you don't take it personally, don't make it about you, you get out of that fight or flight and you get into a place where you can really be of service, whether you're selling products or services or coaching or the CEO or in customer service, whatever it is that you do, whatever your role is, when you're able to take yourself out of the equation to a great degree and not make it about you in any way, Mm -hmm. and we all do this. I'm not saying that, you know, there's something wrong with you if you do this. It's how we've grown up. But when you're able to distance yourself and be in observer mode, it's so much easier to tap into compassion for the other person. And conflict becomes less threatening and more... It's just information, right? Yes, exactly. And it's a trigger for your heart and your intellect to get involved to be able to be of service. Yeah. So I think that's fabulous. I mean, it is about, you know, using your observational skills to kind of be that third party. And I mean, it takes practice to do. These things just don't come naturally if it's new to you. So it's honing those observation skills, knowing it's not about you, but trying to sit back and look at the whole picture here, what's really going on here. And as you say, it's not about me. And so we don't have to take it so personally. But, you know, when you get down to it, I guess the real intention here and what this team, this group has in common is they're so proud of their product and what they really want to do together. If you chunk up, it's to deliver a great product, which is really going to make the customer happy. Um, But we all have a different perspective about what that might take and how I'm part of this. And and so we can kind of step out from that and say, well, what is it that we're all collectively trying to do here? That works. And it takes work. And it's so great for everybody involved because when you realize that, oh, what really frustrated the customer is there was a step missing in the directions for the product. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I can tell you the missing step and I can share with the company that there's a step missing in the directions. And then all these other people who get the same product will have less frustration. And you start to see how you can be a contribution and how that, that one little conflict experience that you had during the day actually did so much good. It's like, oh, wow, that was really great. I was able to not only help that one person, but I could help hundreds or thousands of other people. And so it, it's fun to see the ripple effect of what we do and that we're a contribution to something so much bigger. Mm. And when we are able to just make that one little shift, like, oh, it wasn't about me and how can I help you? 
customer service people typically get a lot of this training, but salespeople often don't. It's so much fun to be able to go in and shift people's experience of their day-to-day life to a place where they have more joy and more ease and less stress and less fear and less anxiety. Oh, how beautifully said. Yeah. What about reframing? A lot Part of this is also, you know, how you reframe some of the usual suspects into, because it opens up and you see there are other possibilities, other ways of looking at this. And I find that reframing. So for example, in my work, appreciative inquiry is one of the or the biggest framework, I guess, that I use when I'm working. And it's turning things around. So instead of looking at it in the usual way, like conflict resolution, we talk about true connection or deepen understanding. So you're kind of working towards the thing that you want to create. It's a moving towards strategy as opposed to a moving away from strategy. Now, sometimes both are relevant and it's just which sort of the side of the coin is most relevant at that time. But, you know, in terms of the moving towards strategy, I mean, I'm hearing that that's what you're doing when you do this work, helping people yeah. move toward the solution that is going to best serve all of them. So it is this win-win-win. Yes, absolutely. And and moving toward and moving away is exactly what we're doing in relationship with people all the time. Mm-hmm. And and I would never advocate one all the time. Um, there are certainly times where somebody is just not, you can't make a difference. Somebody is just so angry and so, there's so much rage and they're so venting at you that it is in your best and highest good to talk to them later. And so moving away can be certainly better for everybody. But the moving toward, I, I just get this feeling of embracing. Mm-hmm. Not that you need to go hug all your customers. But often many of us have this attitude of our arms crossed and kind of standing, tapping one foot. And we're <laughs> frustrated. Things aren't going fast enough. And we're very closed. Even if we're not sitting or standing in that posture, we're very closed. And we don't want to hear it. And we're waiting for you to stop talking so we can start talking. And when people start to open up and come from this other space of oh, you're just showing me, you're just showing me your fear. You're just showing me your woundedness. You're just showing me your stories. Um, We come from this more open, curious, childlike space where everything is really interesting. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. That's where you're coming from. Oh, okay, now I know how to deal with you. Now I know how to talk to you. Now I know what's important to you. Mm -hmm. And people are always revealing so much about themselves in every conversation. If you can get into that observer mode and listen and be curious, Mm -hmm. we're so better able to do whatever our role is, make better decisions, make better choices, help people buy the right product for themselves when we're able to tune in and listen to what's going on. Yeah. And I love that you talk about curiosity and childlike behaviors or childlike curiosity, not necessarily the behaviors. We educate people to be experts and to know stuff and to have the answers rather than ask the questions. And so that's another reason why I really love the work that I do, because it's about the inquiry. So when we live in this world of inquiry, it means we're seekers, we're seeking to find out more, we stay in this state of curiosity, because that's when we can be truly open to what other perspectives are, as opposed to coming in and expecting that we're the expert, and we have to give the solution. And so for me, the role of facilitation is really important. I mean, I don't go into an organization, and I'm not the expert at all. I know about process and I know about certain methodologies that work, but really the context 
is owned and the content is owned by the client group and helping them see that being in this place of inquiry really can serve. I could not agree more. I'm so about the power of the question. And that's another thing that's been coming up a lot over the last week, actually, is that we're all taught in school to have the answers. Mm. When the teacher calls on you, you better know the right answer. And it's very hard to shake that when you get out into the world. But the best leaders that I find, the most, the leaders who inspire their team and get collaboration and contribution and loyalty, not even, you know, way beyond engagement from their people, are the leaders who ask questions who don't show up and have the answers, who say, this is what I'm wrestling with at the CEO level or a brand manager or a team leader. This is what I'm wrestling with. What do you all think? Mm. What, What do you know? What contribution do you have for this puzzle? What piece do you bring? And people feel validated, heard, appreciated, understood, important, And the leader gets so many more perspectives. You know, we have common sayings like two heads are better than one, but how often do we really do that? And when you have this whole team of people, each will bring a different perspective and a different piece of the puzzle. We can learn so much simply by asking questions and especially by asking open-ended questions Mm -hmm. and not so much looking for answers as awarenesses. So answers tend to be very defined and specific and, and we stop asking more questions when we hit an answer. Yeah. But when we get to broader awarenesses like, oh, you know, the competitors are doing this and the market seems to be moving in this direction and I wonder what people are going to want next and what else is possible? What can we do with what we have to bring it to the next level? And you start to ask these broader questions that really open up infinite possibilities. Yeah. And that's another, what I see as positivity too. It's about the possibilities that open up and the optimism and the curiosity and all the opportunities. Just what you were saying there earlier, Sue, two things came up for me. One is, yes, we think we have to have the answers because that's how we reward people throughout the education they get, you know, right from school through to colleges and universities. You've got to have the right answers and that's what you get rewarded for. And that then moves into or parlays into their work experiences. And the other thing that came up for me too, as you were talking about leaders, is when you ask all the questions and you seek to broaden your own understanding of what's going on, it implies a vulnerability. So maybe we can just talk a little bit about what you're observing in terms of valuing vulnerability as a way to embrace, as a way to be available, as a way to bring more voices to the table, as a way of empowering people to feel, wow, you know, I also have a perspective here that I want to share because I'm given the opportunity by my boss, for example. Yes. Vulnerability is the ultimate in power to me. When you are vulnerable, you are you know that you're safe. You're not guarded. You're not protected. You're not defensive. You're not going to attack anyone who has a different perspective. So a lot of people view vulnerability as weakness, but I view it as strength and power because it comes from this very grounded, very secure space. And 
And it can be scary. It's a constant tuning and fine-tuning to get there. But when we come from the space where we no longer believe we have to know everything, we have to be perfect, we have to be exactly the way other people expect us to be, to me, vulnerability really goes with authenticity. Then we get into this place where not only are we more powerful, we are giving other people permission to be more authentic, be more powerful. And and my dear friend Achim Novak talks about authenticity as a double-edged sword. There are authentic parts of me that want to have a temper tantrum and throw things. And there are authentic parts of me that want to be helpful to somebody else. And there are authentic parts of me that want to be right. Mm. So it is choosing who we are in the moment. And But I believe that it really is about vulnerability and choice. Yeah. And that we're always at choice. That we can... We can choose a response that feels like a negative emotion. So if I'm feeling anger and I speak from that place of anger, I am going to achieve one set of potential results. And if I choose to reset myself in whatever way I do that, taking a few breaths, thinking about my dog, remembering a joke, going and watching a funny movie, whatever it is, and then I respond from a place of optimism or compassion, then I get a whole different set of results. Mm -hmm. So I see it as sort of a two-step thing. I stand here and I see what's going on and I receive what's going on and then I choose what I'm going to do. Wow. You are talking about such heightened (laughs) self-awareness. Yes. (laughs) Uh, like, oh my God, you know, I'm just so self-aware. I know what's going on. And emotional intelligence and all those other things that we're very conscious about what we're doing all the time. I mean, I, we do have reactions that come from our unconscious self as well, right? Oh, yes. I mean, and I do too. I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means. But I think that we all have the potential to get here and it's yeah. not difficult. I know. But I tr- truly believe that the great leaders of today and of the future are self-aware. Yeah. That it requires a higher and higher level of self-awareness because there's so much going on. There's such an overload of information. There are no clear-cut right answers moving forward in most companies anymore. Precisely. Mm. And in relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, whether we're talking personal life, work life, for a lot of us that overlaps more and more, there's no one right or wrong anymore. So when we stand in this place of having to be right and we alienate the people who mean the most to us and we don't help anybody. Mm. One of the first teachings that I learned on my personal growth path in, in 1993 was, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? And I see this playing out in, in conversations all around me all the time where people will just argue and go to the mat over it happened on Wednesday versus it happened on Tuesday. And <laughs> most of the time that doesn't matter in the slightest. <laughs> So helping people recognize what's really important to them and helping people recognize when they're coming from that space of needing to be right and when they can let go of all that. And it's such a relief when you let go of it and and recognizing what it means when you feel relief and what it means when you feel your jaw tightening or your neck tightening uh, or your face flushing. Just simple triggers that we can tune into and understand we can all become more Mm self-aware and and move through the world in a whole different way, in a way that we're not buffeted about by what's happening, but more empowered, more a choice with more ease and joy every day. Yeah. And there's something about that time perspective. 
So in the bigger scheme of things, if you think about the longer term versus the immediate short term, I think that plays out too. And, you know, when we talk about leadership, I'm thinking of things like having a real clear sense of purpose, that self-awareness, having a real vision about what it is that you're here to do in the world. And, you know, it's not about these short-term gains, but it's about the longer-term sustainability and the continuity of what it is that you're producing in the world or you're offering to the world. I think that's another part of leadership too. Absolutely. Recognizing your core values and the higher purpose of the business. Because in conscious capitalism, they talk about how the body makes red blood cells. And it's extremely important for the body to continue to manufacture red blood cells in exactly the same way as businesses make profits. And it's very important for businesses to continue to make profits. But the purpose of a body is not to manufacture red blood cells. And the purpose of a business is not exclusively to manufacture profits. The business is here to do something bigger than that, whether that is to provide the best car for somebody to commute short distances to work or to provide clean food for our children in schools or whatever it may be, there is some vision and purpose for each company. And I love helping leaders find what that is and find how that resonates with their own core values. Because when we all identify our core values and don't make it some pretty statement that's hanging on the wall, but we actually use those values to make our choices all day long, And that's how we navigate the day. You know, my core value is sustainability. So am I going to make this choice that I know has Mm -hmm. short-term rewards, but long-term detriment? No, my goal, my core value is sustainability. That's not sustainable. I can't do that. Right, exactly. You know, that is not one of my options. Mm. And I think when we, when our leaders get in that space and the leaders are in that space are so much more potent so much more powerful, so much more inspiring. And they're talking about their values all the time. They're actually, they're embodying the values, they're living the values, they're speaking from and about the values, and they're showing their people how to apply that too. So if you are the customer service rep at a company, you know that the core values are whatever they happen to be at your company, and you can make choices. Ideally, you're empowered to make choices on behalf of the people you're, you're helping based on those particular values. I could not agree more that values are long-term focus and awareness are absolutely vital in every area of our lives at this point. Yeah. We need more of that in the news media, understanding more about the long-term viability of many of these decisions that are going on. From my perspective... That's just my perspective. Um, So, Sue, tell me about a conversation that you, that is most inspiring to you. I mean, I have a sense of it, but you know, if you were to think that you could initiate a global conversation, what would that be? What would you want to be seeing? We all, we all increase our awareness about this, that we all take steps towards, that we see the opportunities that exist. We see the possibilities. We see it's optimistic. We see it's going to serve most people on the planet. Is there... Is there something that you kind of wake up and think, wow, I would love to be part of that conversation or that initiative? Well, I actually am part of an initiative that's (laughs) initiating a global conversation. We're actually going to be launching our website very soon. It's called the Global Workplace Declaration. Yes. 
And it's about empowering people at all levels in all kinds of places of work. So it doesn't matter if you are a bricklayer or the CEO of a global corporation. We've written a first draft. A lot of thought leaders and organizational change agents and leaders have come together and we all shared what we thought made a great workplace and what made a horrible workplace and compared and contrasted our experiences and our approaches. And three of us, uh, Johan Gauthier, Bill Jensen, and I distilled all of that down into a first draft of a declaration that yes. we called a Great Workplace Declaration. And we're going to be launching greatworkplacedeclaration.com. I believe we're, we're launching in December. December this year. Yes. Where people can read the declaration Tell us what resonates with them, what, what was important to them, what's missing, what feels off. And we're asking people to share it with three friends. Yay. So we want this to be absolutely global contribution, all kinds of people. And we will revise and revise until we get this, this declaration that people can use as a tool for their day-to-day lives, as a mission and purpose statement, as a way to onboard new employees in a company. We have one consultant who works with many Fortune 500 companies who wants to get them using this to onboard new people because it's about speaking in a way that we respect others and we feel trusted and heard and validated. It's about being a contribution in the workplace. It's about being the change we want to see in the world. If we want more peace, it's about being peace. If we want more joy, it's about being joy. And it is about recognizing that we all have power. Yes, it's wonderful when, when the change comes from the top. And yes, change can happen at any level. One of the most inspiring articles that I ever included in Law of Attraction magazine was written by a man who had been in the military, Jose, Jose Dieppa. And he had worked for a large, I believe it was a defense contracting company. He didn't want to name it because he wanted to protect the company. But when he started working there, everybody acted like zombies. I mean, the place was just such a pit of fear and distrust and backstabbing and infighting and bickering. And people walked down the halls, like staring at the carpet and dragging their feet like they were the walking dead. After a few months, he, he thought, what can I do? I need to do something. And he was sort of a lower level manager. He didn't feel like he could change the culture, but he was going to do what he could do. So he decided he would create an experiment every day, all day long. When he would see people, he would greet them. Good morning, good afternoon, hello, and he would smile. And so the first few times he would see people, he'd, you know, he'd say good afternoon and they would ignore him. Or some people actually turned around and looked behind them to see if he was talking to somebody else. <laughs> and after a while, people would kind of at least look at him. And then people started to say good morning back. And then pretty soon people started to smile and people started to talk and people would have conversations with him and with each other. And it shifted the energy within this company just by one person making this one decision to do this one simple thing. And I just love that story. It makes me so happy to hear that we all have the power to touch so many lives and to change something that seems absolutely unchangeable. Yeah. Just by doing something simple, free, easy, that makes us feel better at the same time. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's just acknowledging somebody else and showing that you know that they exist. And, you know, it fits in with that line that is part of your mission, I guess, which is when you improve those relationships by improving communication, clarity, 
and collaboration, everyone wins. So that yes. just sits, and that's probably a beautiful way to bring this fantastic conversation to an end right now. But we could continue also another time, Sue. Yes, thank you. Thank you for a really stimulating, beautiful opening conversation. <laughs> you have so much to share. You know, you could just keep talking. It's got so much there and you have something to say to everything. I mean, I just think it's so rich. The experience that you offer, Sue, is just invaluable. I can't wait to continue more to learn more about you. And we'll have lots of links on the show notes to this particular episode, which is Positivity Strategist forward slash 14. So again, thank you for your inspiration and for bringing so much joy into this conversation today and all the work that you do and all those people that you touch. Thank you, Sue. Oh, thank you, Robin. Bye. For our Positivity Lens segment this week, Sue has given us so much to think about and try out. You'll have identified some of the best takeaways for your own situation. Paying attention to our body is a big one, especially if negative emotions begin to come up. So if we feel a knot in the stomach, or a tightness in the chest, or suddenly feel a surge of heat, or our heart beats a little faster, it's a signal to pay attention, to stop, to consider our options before we react. Such awareness can help us to take a deep breath, count to three, ask for time out or pause. If we can clear our mind and reset, that's a great strategy. We can ask of ourselves and others, what's the most loving thing I can do right now? Start the day off with an alignment of sequences, ensuring our thoughts and emotions and bodies are aligned. Just set the alarm for a little earlier to provide ourselves a great start to the day. And depending on the circumstances, you might like to check in with yourself from time to time if you'd rather be happy or right, especially when it comes to relationships. And when you might not be feeling centered or in your full power, you might just check in to ask yourself if it's your younger, inexperienced self running your life at that moment or your mature, experienced adult self. It's good to know the difference. So see how you go, and I'm looking forward to checking in with you next week. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening, and remember, what you focus on grows. So grow towards your best. <laughs>